Guess who's back? And in Baku. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Racing is back this weekend so we're talking about the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and the first sprint at the Baku circuit as well. But first, where should we have gone? We can't get into this, uh, I suppose, new episode where we're looking forward to racing without talking about the three-week wilderness we had as racing fans. And um, after just three races as well, not a summer break, not an ordinary break, because it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't planned. There was meant to be the Chinese Grand Prix uh, in this period. That was cancelled, however, owing to the country's now abandoned COVID-0 policy, which, for those who don't know, essentially a government plan to reduce cases and deaths to an absolute low, meaning that big sporting events, big social events, uh, big events where people were coming together were cancelled, and the Chinese Grand Prix was one of them. So to start with then, Tristan, where should we have gone? Where could we have gone during this time? Well, to be completely unoriginal, I would have liked us to have gone to China. Uh, because Three. it was... <laughs> If we look at the timeline, it was very unfortunate about how everything sort of uh, developed because it was the the 18th, 19th-ish, depending on what news cycle you're looking at, um, of January, um, and some, some reporting even earlier, that 17th-ish, um, when it was officially cancelled. And then we heard in March that, it was, that China was, was fully reopened again. So... We know that the track is still there because it's it's not like a, a street circuit. It is a proper track. It's a Tilka track at that and one of my um, favourite at tracks. And that might be slightly controversial. Some people might not like the China um, track, but I do because it, it has this really cool uh, opening turn one which is sort of leads into two and three and and it gets tighter as you go round, and it's brilliant i really like it so i really would have liked us to have gone to china because it feels like it's been quite a while since we went there and it would have mm. also given guan yu zhou his first ever home grand prix and i think that would have been really cool for him as well this is off the back of audi um who are taking over from alfa romeo doubling down on the the chinese sort of investment through their launch um of their car program this this week um being in china so clearly the formula one team is um doubling down in that area so it would have been quite nice i think to have a chinese um, grand prix with a chinese driver with a team that clearly is investing in that area there's always something quite nice about the home home teams and home tracks and things like that so that that would have been really cool um if not i i'm still campaigning for us to go back to Magello. 
Do you remember Magello? Yeah. Back in 2021? Yeah. Now, Magello is also famed for its its one-time appearance during the silly season, the pandemic season. And in that season, Valtteri Bottas kind of threw a spanner in the works of many, many of the drivers at the back by slowing down a bit whilst um, restarting the 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 race on under a safety car which meant we had a massive collision at the back that it, it was a very dramatic race but there's no getting away from the fact that it delivered us some good racing gave us a bit of drama and i prefer it i think to um some of the other options that um i'm, I'm maybe i don't really like Imola. Oh, I said it. There, I said it. Yeah, I know. Ooh. Some of you might like Imola. I'm not a massive Imola fan, but uh, I, I actually really enjoyed Magello. So it would have been cool to go back there. Maybe Imola and Magello could alternate, but definitely we know it's a track they could have gone to. So that's that would have been my preference, either to China or perhaps Magello, because who's more another Italian Grand Prix? I have three in mind. <coughs> the uh come to mind when you think of races that could have gone in that place um two european based and one which is actually based in asia so mm. my choices i think firstly i agree with the Magello shout by the way brilliant shout great racetrack um my only thing would be it's very fast and typically those kinds of tr- tracks tend to be less good for racing which is a shame because it's an absolute stunner and it's also set in the rolling Tuscan hills um, so it's a stunning track my three first one that came to mind was Istanbul Turkey um, yeah. good memories good memories there from when it came back onto the calendar the last couple of years when we had a couple of um, couple of races where basically they forgot to lay the track properly so it was incredibly greasy <laughs> but actually but actually produced a very good spectacle um, mm. secondly I'm thinking Malaysia it's been a while, and yes. there was um, there was the possibility of Malaysia coming back onto the calendar this year until they, in the end, f- forgot about it and went for the four-week break. But absolute classic of a circuit. The first circuit of the sort of new batch in, like, um, le- like countries where F1's maybe less supported. Um, mm. The real sort of global breakout in sort of the 2000s. Um, Malaysia definitely fits that bill in terms of being a racetrack, which is... Like very good for racing and also in a stunning location. And the third one that comes to mind, um, it'll never happen, but I'll say it anyway. The Nürburgring Nordschleife, just because it is the most uh. incredible circuit <laughs> in the world. It has about, I think it's like 15 miles long or something like that. Uh, the the fastest it's ever been driven was when a BMW, I think it was a BMW Sauber, did a a, tr- a trial run for like a, a public sort of stunt demonstration and lapped it in just over seven minutes um so imagine a formula one race with seven minute laps um it's very it's, t- it's way too dangerous to ever host any formula one um but we can dream of uh, you did used to host formula one back in the 70s it's where Nicky lauda almost lost his life um in a terrible crash in the 1970s but um, that was back when they didn't really consider safety to be top of their list, but I still think it will never happen. But imagine if it was, uh, if we're able to say that round four of the uh, F1 season was held at the <laughs> Nurburgring Lodge Life. 
<laughs> it's quite funny, really, because on that list that you just read out on my screen is pretty much the same list. But aside from the being the Nürburgring, I had Hockenheim there Hockenheim. as my preferred oh. German circuit, really. Because I, I think it's absolutely scandalous that there's not a German Grand Prix totally bolted agree. into the calendar always. Yeah. There's a British Grand Prix, Italian Grand Prix, French Grand Prix, uh. Spanish Grand Prix, all the European countries that have a rich racing history if you will but no German I mean we've got a German team we've got German drivers one in the sport now one is a reserve driver many that have won multiple world championships I mean I understand that F1's now very much of the mindset of we can't just be in Europe we've got to go to different continents and expand the market and get more eyes and people going to it etc I get that entirely but to not have somewhere like Hockenheim there, to not have a German Grand Prix, particularly after Hockenheim uh, produced such a great racing spectacle last time it was in the calendar, if memory serves me correctly. It was Sebastian Vettel, ironically a German driver, that uh, crashed off spectacularly and sort of threw away his chances of competing seriously for a championship in 2019, I believe, or 18, pre-pandemic at the very least. Um, so yeah, I think that's outrageous, really. And second of all, I think what would be quite nice and be great to hear your opinions on this if f1 were to go and publicize a reserve standby calendar of circuits that was made by public vote so let's say there's a short list that the fia put out like these are the possible reserve circuits then the popular vote of people like you and i can vote in that and go well okay i'd like malaysia i'd like istanbul i'd like Pokemon, for example and whatever one wins is then put as the reserve circuit for the upcoming Grand Prix calendar, if you will. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. They they definitely should do that and bring back Hockenheim. Um, unfortunately, Tom, no, no more, no more France either. Poor Ricard's yeah. gone. So yeah, we are we're, we're we're losing those those classic Grand Prix that um that you'd perhaps expect. You would expect France. You would expect Germany, but they are no more. So maybe it's a matter of time before. Imagine Belgium seems to be under threat. Um, heaven forbid we lost Spa because that is that is also one of my favourites. But I totally agree. We we should have these reserve um, ca- uh, tracks, and I think it'd be a great idea if if fans could could vote for the one we went to. Um, I was about to say, but that might make logistics quite difficult. But actually, let's face it, <laughs> they ship them at currently sporadically around the world um when i say them i mean the formula one circus is shipped around the world um sporadically so i think they could do it and i think that'd be a great way to engage with with um the fans in a moment like this where there has been an unexpected change and because we are living in such a dynamic world now where once in a generation event seems to happen every couple of weeks um i i think it's actually worth considering how we manage times like this when we may not just be able to go to a track anymore so yeah i think lewis hamilton would agree with you about malaysia because he was a massive fan of it and i i would strongly stand behind hockenheim hockenheim was the last grand prix i actually went to so i uh i would really like it to come back because that was an amazing Amazing race to see. I don't know about the fans thing because I remember that one time when uh, the British public was asked to name a boat, uh, which was to go on the the uh, the Arctic seas, and they called it a Boaty McBoakface. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I reckon we'd have a. Imagine if we had a similar thing where the um, where the F1 public 
asked us to go and race at some some ridiculous circuit, which was which uh, wouldn't be safe enough. I'm being a proper. I, w- I think it would be a pre-approved well, list. Yeah, that's where you, the shortlist comes in. You think you, you they wouldn't just give a a, a free for all no, no, out no. to the public? They, they won't be like, <laughs> no. oh, welcome to the Formula One Snetterton Grand Prix. <laughs> Let's see how they make it around this teeny tiny track. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe there would be some hope for it then, possibly. Love Snetterton. And with racing finally back, we should probably talk about what's coming up. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix, as I've mentioned there. So last year when we were here, it qualified as uh, Leclerc in first, Perez second, Verstappen third. But you remember that double Ferrari DNF, so it finished with Verstappen in first, Perez in second, a 1-2 for Red Bull, and one George Russell getting himself a third place. So to start with then, who do we think is going to be on the top step of the podium and, by extension, the other step to the podium, for for that matter, as well. Go on, Tom. Who 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 are you uh, who are you placing your oh. money behind? I have a funny feeling Alonso is going to win it. Really? Oh, really? how the tables have I turned. I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't expecting I, I, that. I think he will. I've just got a, a feeling that it's going to be a difficult race for Red Bull. I think they're going to have one or two problems when it comes to reliability and maybe a slow pit stop, which will put them on their back heels, if you will. Ferrari is seemingly nowhere, Mercedes are very hit and miss, and let's be fair, Aston Martin and, you've got to go and say, Fernando Alonso versus Lance Stroll, who has been doing well to be to be fair to him, Alonso is the one who's going to go and take that win, I think he's shown great consistency, but there's a question as well, is he going to be hitting the ground running, is he going to be able to carry on with what he was doing to start with or is this break going to hamper him and by extension others really because I think it could play a factor in terms of momentum going or momentum being built and then I suppose that sort of dead period if you will it will have an effect and vice versa flipping on its head is a chance for the teams that have done not so well to start with Ferrari being an example for them to have a reset and to, to go again but what do we think about that do we think Alonso could win this one or is that another pipe dream do you remember 2021 when Sergio Perez started in seventh and ended up winning the race? Uh, it, it, Vaguely. It, oh, yeah. that, I know. That tossed your mind back many years, but I don't think this is that obscure. But granted, there were quite a number of things that happened in that race, including Max Verstappen's unfortunate um, tyre explosion um, thing that happened, Lewis Hamilton locking up his his front tyres because he left the magic on, uh, which is still nice. one of my favourite sentences, just, oh, Bono, I left the magic on. Um, <laughs> <that's> a, um, <laughs> but my, my point is, as Azerbaijan can throw huge amounts of unexpected things your way, just because it, it's, it's a really fast, tight street track. So when you say, oh, I think Alonso could win it, I, 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 can, I can get behind that. I can really mm. get behind that. It has thrown many, many weird things our way before. Um, before, before Haas were doing really well uh, last year. They don't forget Kevin Magnussen um, in I want to say 2019 was like in third place at one point um, for Haas, and then eventually he fell back. Um, and Lance Stroll has. Uh, got yep. a podium in Azerbaijan as well, which was an unexpected surprise. So, yeah, I could. I when you when you say it like that, I think yeah, no, I can I can get behind that. Um, unfortunately, I'm I'm slightly less confident in the ability of Red Bull to give up 
the top step of the podium. So I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a Red Bull. I think it's either going to be Max or Perez. Um, and then I think Ferrari. I think Ferrari is going to do quite well here as well. Um, I reckon they're going to get the third place. And then I think Aston Martin is going to have a bit of a disaster. I, it might actually be Lance Stroll who causes the disaster because he tends to outbreak himself at the moment. And turn one in Azerbaijan is fiercely fiercely dangerous and um i saw a picture today of the of of just regular uh, of the regular um road in baku and it looks like turn one of uh, on the first lap of the race so clearly if civilians can't get around it very well then uh, hmm. it's a poorly designed corner and it does usually cause us some chaos so i think it's going to be max verstappen sergio perez and then i think Charles Leclerc is going to be on third. I'm going to go the complete opposite. I think that there's been a four-week break. We've got a new, slightly re- revamped format with the sprint, which, yes, I know is is uh, separate from the Grand Prix, but still it's going to be putting uh, some of the teams off kilter in terms of their usual weekend routine. Um, and I'm feeling also the fact that, I mean, last year... Azerbaijan wasn't massively eventful other than the Ferraris self-destructing. Otherwise, it was a pretty uh, standard order. Um, We haven't had an eventful Azerbaijan Grand Prix since 2021. And usually this race has feast or famine. It either is absolute carnage or it's incredibly dull, um, to put it bluntly. (laughs) So I think, considering last year was a bit more of a famine, we're going to have an absolute chaotic fest this year. Uh, Max Verstappen's still going to win because he's going to serenely progress through the uh, all the chaos. Um, I would say that I reckon Alonso will finish on the podium. I think he's just on a good run at the moment. I think that's a fair shout. And I'm going to stick my neck out and throw in a rogue podium finisher. Who's it going to be as I look down the list of the Drivers' Championship standings? <laughs> I'm going to say... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. oh, nothing like a wing on the fly. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'm. My, my, you know, you know what prediction came up in my head before this bit? Strangely, was I have a feeling Logan Sargent's going to get points. I just think really? it's going to be. Yeah, it could just okay. be a chaotic race where seven, eight drivers retire, a bit like in Australia where we had lots of cars crash out by the end, and you know someone will okay. get up close to the points where they wouldn't usually be. My third podium finisher, I'm going to say. Based, carry on from our positive discussion about him last week, Nico Hulkenberg will get his first Formula One podium in Baku this yeah, weekend. Blimey. And Haas there we go. goes wild. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, Gene Haas's Gene Haas's words of uh, Haas wins the world championship. Haas get ever closer. Yeah, I've been um, <laughs> speaking of Haas. Uh, I received in in the in the post a copy of Gunter Steiner's book. I'd like to thank. I check. I didn't know. I decided to buy it like a like an average person. I actually buy the book for Gunter But um, it is a really interesting read um, because Gunter talks about some of the the highs of of last year and apparently, and uh, I I can only take Gunter's word for this. But Gene has smiled, smiled um, wow. when Kevin Magnuson uh, got that that pole position. So. Uh, he might actually laugh if um, he gets if, if Haas gets a podium. So you know we may actually see happy uh, Gene Haas um, 
if if that ever happens. <laughs> One day. Maybe even a fist bump or something, you know, or a hug or a high five. <laughs> oh, or oh, oh, oh. I'm dream. I'm dreaming now. I realise that's some but, serious know. emotion display there, Tom. Are you sure he's <laughs> capable of that? <laughs> uh, well, one way looks like we'll be finding out come the uh, end of Sunday about the uh, judging of Angus's <laughs> guests there. <laughs> um, uh, it is an interesting read, though. I've I've had to wash my eyes out with soap, though, after um, reading mm. the book. It, it's um, it's not for those with a a uh, a nervous disposition against swearing. I must admit. Um, yeah, Gunter writes as he speaks, which is very entertaining um but also a bit jarring as well like there are a lot of effing and and you know blinding in the book um but yeah so if you're if you're a fan of of um Hass like me then I w- I would recommend um picking it up cuz um I found out some really interesting things would you like to know some of my um my little Steiner facts that I've I, I oh, actually on, wrote then. down because oh, sure. um Let's hear it. I thought you might be interested right so in in 2020 uh, they had has had a, a a budget of 173 million dollars, whereas okay. Mercedes had nearly half a billion. Mm. And that's part of the reason why they brought in these regulations um, to to do the cost cap. But that that is yep. an outstanding difference. I mean, that's that's less than that's way less than half. Um, mm. And um, ha- um, is my one more little. Has fact. I'll sprinkle them in throughout this series of podcasts um, that we do this year. Um, Gunter was was discussing you know, sponsorship and things like that, and um, he said that sixty five percent of their budget is covered by sponsorship, which I guess is theirs. But um, given the way McLaren are going at the moment, I reckon McLaren must be in the eighty to ninety percent because they they've got sponsors left and left, right, and centre. So if Has is saying sixty five percent for them, I, th- I reckon yeah. Um, McLaren are way higher than that but there you go a couple of interesting budgeting facts for you there and we all like interesting budgeting facts <laughs> it now makes sense really why they were so concerned about the uh, the dropping of their sponsor Arcali I guess or the for the decision to drop it really because yeah once you take away over half of your budget come this season or next season or season to come it being paid at some point that makes a huge hit really you can see why ultimately you had someone like Mick Schumacher having to leave owing to how expensive he was for the team really it was almost like a a domino effect and one thing leads to another ripples if you will yeah yeah and um Mick was costing well some of the crashes like the one in Saudi Arabia you know gave them a bill of basically a million dollars um I mean that that means that's 170th of the their budget gone on one crash and you might think well that's you know 170 that's you know that's ridiculous but actually that's one crash and uh, that's not that's an absolutely insane amount of money just to go on one one mistake and you know Gunter was was discussing this fact actually within in the book and, and basically saying that, that on one hand not only could they not afford to just keep um repairing the the re- uh, the car i mean if he did that every race that'd be 24 million pounds but also like they they couldn't also risk mick killing himself and that's that's a fair point and i think one of those points that we kind of gloss over when we're discussing crashes um when it is driver error like that there has to be a question also about whether or not the driver is putting themselves at risk and apparently according to gunter that's part of the reason why they ended up not taking him forward 
amongst other reasons. My main question about the mm-hmm. book is, are you like me? Do you read the book a book in people's voices or a text in people's voices? Because if you're reading that book with Gunter's voice, his uh, his beautiful hybrid <laughs> accent in your ears, then that's that must be quite <laughs> the experience. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I, yeah, really I, their, I their tend voices. to do that, I feel. I wouldn't yeah, be able to replicate well, it yeah. um, you know, out loud, but definitely I felt like Gunter was reading it. Um, in So <laughs> I guess Gunter's living rent-free in my brain for a bit, which is nice. Is it nice? <laughs> I'm not sure if it isn't nice. If I break out with <laughs> a bit of rage yeah. and swearing, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, the, the book's infiltrated into my uh, deep psyche. And on the flip side, then, of the first question of who's going to do well, who's going to be on the podium, who needs to hit the ground running after this big hiatus, if you will? Let's go with Angus first. Not through any fault of his own, but Charles Leclerc, honestly. I mean, mm. the fact that he's had poor luck, obviously, in his first couple of races, but and we spoke in depth about Ferrari uh, last week on the podcast about their uh, their travails and their structural reset that they're promising. But he really, I feel like he really does need to have a strong start. He like needs to, because he's for me, he's always been. I was thinking about this earlier. He's always been, even in a rubbish Ferrari car, or even a a below average. Uh, was it Sal? Yeah, Sauber when he first came into the sport did that year at Sauber. He always, he felt dragged every ounce out of the car. A bit like how Verstappen would drag every ounce out of the. The, the below part Red Bulls or that Toro Rosso he used to be in. Um, and Leclerc, I think, has been very good at that. But he needs to he needs to show that because clearly this could be a year where Ferrari are in that position and they are not strong. So I think he needs to continue to be the driver who can, even in adversity, get the absolute most every last bit out of the car, even if it's a bit of a, um, a tractor, shall we say, to drive. A bit like how in that, 2020 season he like the ferrari was what sixth foot sixth seventh fastest car it was awful and vet and sebastian vettel who had admittedly been released by ferrari was clearly uninterested was like dropped off a bit he performed poorly but leclerc was absolutely on it leclerc was taking that ferrari to places it shouldn't have been like finishing the top four or five quite regularly i think he needs to hit the ground running and um and yeah sort of put himself back on the map in a good way maybe i'm being harsh do you think i'm being harsh on him or do you think do you think he's got enough credit in the bank for that or would you say that he needs to maybe for his own sake hit the ground running i think he definitely has credit in the bank there's no question about his talent really but i think when you're comparing him to someone like verstappen i think originally when he first came onto the scene they were seen very much as equal dare i say as being the two will fight for the world championships coming up and that may still well be the case but when you look at how last season went and now this season you're starting to see the difference in quality between Verstappen and Leclerc, I feel anyway. Not saying Leclerc's a bad driver, but Verstappen is just of a different quality and granted in a different sort of period of his career, if you will. So I think he needs to go and remind everybody just how good he is would be my way of putting it really because you're right, you can go and blame the reliability of your car to a point, you can go and blame Ferrari to another extent as well, but if you really are a world champion or someone who's going to be a world champion, you need to go and, I suppose dodge the the hurdles that are coming towards you and you know get over uh the, the issues that are facing you really and go and you know not use them as excuses or make people forget about the circumstances you're, you're having to deal with really because i think if he's not careful he could get jumped by someone like 
Well, George Russell springs to mind, for example, looking how well he's done with that Mercedes car. In similar-ish circumstances to this Ferrari, dare I say, not the best machinery, but still doing exceptionally well. And then there's Lando Norris as well, which I feel that... Um, it won't be too long before he joins a quote a bigger team. Um, so yeah, I think he's he needs to remind everyone really. But um, that may be harsh for me. What do you think, Tristan? No, I, d- I don't. I don't think so. It's it's really difficult to watch Charles Leclerc's progression because he has had such an upward trajectory, and we were expecting so many ex- great things for him because he sort of sp- sprung into the sport off the off the back of. You know, obviously, great season in Formula Two. Then came into the sport with Alfa Romeo, and has been picked by Ferrari as this up-and-coming, you know, glorious talent. And then last year, the the beginning of the the trajectory upwards um, with the new regulations meant that everyone thought, well, yes, okay, twenty twenty wasn't that great, perhaps for Charles, but um, that's just the poor car. And then you know he's got a great car; he's going to win the world championship. And I think he even thought he was going to win the world championship. And then that died away because Ferrari's poor reliability. And then this year, they've unfortunately Charles been lumbered with a car that is just not performing as well as as he would like and no no one wants ferrari to be lingering back a bit and it seems like as as we've discussed in previous podcasts they've been hampered a bit by the subtle changes to the rules and so i think charles season so far has been pretty forgettable and i mm. can't really think of any moment i've thought god oh, great to see charles charles in that scrap you know yeah. Because even if even if the uh, a driver's not doing perhaps that well, um, because the car's not doing very well, you you still get those magic moments. Like for example, t- last year we had Lewis Hamilton at Silverstone. Do you remember the the you know that classic line from oh, last yeah. year? And Lewis Hamilton goes through, and you think, wow, glad Hamilton was there to have that battle as well. Never been any moments like that from Charles. And I know it's very early into the season, although it doesn't feel like it because we've had a blooming long break. Grr, that's Gunter coming out. Sorry. Um, um, I, and so I, I feel like you could have removed him from many of the, the races and I thought, yeah, well, he hasn't really had anything. So I totally agree. He really needs to show everyone you know, what his, his metal is and, and why he's there fighting in Ferrari because, I, to be honest, he shouldn't be so far behind Carlos Sainz um you know we we in previous debates we've always pegged Leclerc above Sainz but you know the the numbers don't lie and Sainz has 20 points and Leclerc has been is dwindling on six and yeah there's been bad luck in there etc etc but hey that's that's the way of things sometimes and we need the drivers to demonstrate that the talent so yeah i want i want i want him to prove everyone wrong um and sort of following on from that i think the rookies have something to show or need to show something this year uh yep. nick devries you know logan Sargent. i know you're you're having images of of him winning points but <laughs> to be honest i would i would like i haven't really seen anything yet um Nick De Vries, especially in Alpha in Alpha Tauri, taking over from Pierre Gasly. Pierre Gasly owned that seat. Let's face it, um, mm. and so I would I kind of like to see the the up and coming Red Bull talent shine through a little bit as well. And it's always nice when they when the rookies sort of demonstrate why they've been you know. 
been chosen and they have been chosen over over everyone else um but just to add balance to that for the for the more experienced drivers i feel like i would like to see something a bit more from yuki sonoda again you know another driver that has been hyped up especially before he joined the sport a couple of years back he's now out of his second sophomore sort of year um in formula one he needs to start proving himself and so far he has just gained a reputation of getting very angry on the radio rather than demonstrating his brilliant driving prowess i'm quite conflicted about yuki snowder honestly because i thought if you'd have asked me how he'd be doing at this point in let's say a few months ago i'd have said oh well he'd probably be fighting with nick de vries de vries would probably have the the better of him really and he'd be dwindling down where he is and he is dwindling down in p16 there's no doubt about that but i think he's actually surpassed my expectations i mean a point for example the consistency as well of keeping in and around the points with that alpha tari car i think is commendable to a point because I think this car is going to be one that's going to be down in the sort of wooden spoon territory of the Constructors' Championship, as was last season. But then, that's fine. He's jumped over a very low bar of mine, but he was brought into Formula 1 after having one season in Formula 2, not winning the damn thing, which, as you know, irks me a lot. And then he's heralded (laughs) as being the next big thing of Red Bull and uh, the next talent, if you will. And we're yet to see that, so... I don't know what to think about him, really. I think he could go in the sort of Daniel Kvyat territory of Formula 1 where a lot of things are expected. He nearly gets there-ish, shows glimmers, but it ultimately fades away. So I think, yeah, I'll be looking at him for, for different reasons. But Nick DeVries in particular, I mean, he was brought into the sport after that great uh, debut at Williams. Always heralded as a fantastic driver by Toto Wolff and Mercedes. But for me, there was always the question mark of how, why has it been this long before he's got himself into Formula 1 in terms of the age, if you will. Money's a part of that, sure, but talent ultimately overrides that, as we see in some aspects like Esteban Ocon, for example, and uh, Raikkonen going back as well, people who didn't really come for money. So I think the sheen which was on Nick de Vries with respect to him is starting to be worn off, but it's up to him to put that sheen back on and show why he should be the person to replace let's say Perez or even Max Verstappen if something awful happens and uh, they can't race. And I guess to to finish as well, like we had breaking news today, the F1 commission in the lead up to Baku have uh, have had a meeting and I guess we spoke about the new sprint format, didn't we, in the uh, last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been confirmed now. It's just to confirm the um, the new format. Practice one would be on the Friday morning slash afternoon as usual. Qualifying for the main race will be on the Friday evening. Saturday is like sprint day, so a shorter qualifying session um, with the same format, but with shortened uh, sessions. So Q1 would be 12 minutes, Q2 10, and Q3 8. That would set the grid for the sprint race on Saturday afternoon. Uh, and then those would have the same number of points as it did last year, so 8 down to 1 from 1st to 8th place. But that wouldn't affect the uh, the running order for Sunday. That would still be set from qualifying from the Friday evening to try and get teams to uh, like go more hell for leather because it was thought the sprint races before were a bit soporific because they feared that teams were um, not willing to take as many chances. Uh, and also another news, the fact that uh, there have been an increase in the number of engine components that teams can use from three to four, so Charles Leclerc currently breathing a big sigh of relief in his Monaco flat. Hmm. Your thoughts, guys? Thank goodness they've introduced 
more uh, um more engine components because i think mm. if they want to increase the amount of racing you've got to do you've got to accept that there's going to be more wear and tear on the engines and i know they've been pushing um for this for a while from the team's perspective so really pleased um with that and yeah this seems like a really sound option um i think we sh- we sometimes forget that sprints are a bit more experimental and we can keep adjusting them it may well be that after giving it a go like this we go nah it doesn't really work either and we move on so i'm just pleased that for a sport that talks about how it's trying to evolve they are continuing to press on and and have some fun with this and i think by cutting out the extra free practice session and the free practice session that we didn't no one really wanted i think it will entice viewers to watch more of the f1 content which can only be good for the sport it can only be good for us let's face it they they are supposed to be doing this stuff for the viewers they would they would stop doing it if it wasn't for viewers and and sponsorship so yeah um i'm i'm kind of behind this at the moment um maybe that maybe is because i'm a bit more of a maverick when it comes to updating the rules and and changing the sport for the better no complaints from me either really i think the idea to have a shorter qualifying session for the sprint race is very sound very logical it is for a sprint after all and there is going to be the proper qualifying if you will on the friday that will set the grid for sunday which everyone is going to watch more than they are the sprint let's be honest so i think that's very sound as well i think the engine uh, component the addition of that is also very good putting that up to four but I do feel that there should have been some uh, leniency, if you will, at the very least, from the sort of cost cap thing, because while more engines are great, if there's crashes, that's still going to mean, let's say, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds of placing uh, in plates, nose cones, various bits of the car ready for, for Sunday, which has to be done in such a, a tight and, I suppose, pressurised situation as well. So I would like to see some leniency on there, or at least a sort of, I suppose, a different type of cost cap for the sprint races, if you will, let's say for the repairs that happen on the Saturday evening. But good steps in the right direction, I have to say. I mean, you can't have all your cake and eat it. You can't have Rome built in one day. And it seems to be a a very logical uh, set of progressions, really, from the FA. And long may it continue, really, because if we like it or not, sprints are here to stay. So we might as well hope and pray that they go in the right direction and become more user-friendly for both drivers, teams and fans as well. And it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 10 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening. Wherever you listen to this podcast, be that your preferred podcast provider or elsewhere. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok, the handle being F1 in Review. We post the episodes there on Twitter at least. And then some short snippets of previous episodes as well. So do go and listen back to our discussions there about various different topics. We'll be continuing to post them as well. Now, if we haven't mentioned it already, there's the uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Race is back so qualifying is on the friday as mentioned that being 2 p.m if you're watching listening or indeed observing in the uk that being british summertime the sprint qualifying is on the saturday that being 9 30 a.m uh, and then in terms of the sprint itself on saturday it's 2 30 p.m and then sunday when the race is that's midday so a reminder midday for the race if you're watching listening or observing in the uk we'll be back to discuss all this and more in the next episode and we look forward to uh, having you with us for then until next time thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>